This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Great to have you along here on Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Leanne Castellino. For many, much of the path towards reconciliation with Canada's Indigenous peoples really does begin at home. What could that look like in individual households? And what does a parent's role in this education of their own children ideally involve? To discuss this, we're joined by a former family law and criminal defense attorney and lifelong educator. Corey Wilson is the executive director of Indigenous Initiatives and Partnerships at the British Columbia Institute of Technology. She has more than 20 years of experience as an educator in post-secondary institutions, and she's also a mom. Corey Wilson joins us today from Vancouver. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'd like to start by asking you, how do you go about defining reconciliation? Because depending on your lived experience, your situation, we can all have different definitions of reconciliation as it relates to Indigenous people. What is your definition? Well, first, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm coming to you today from Musqueam Territory, uh, which is the territory near UBC. If people know, I'm sure most people know where UBC is. Uh, But yeah, reconciliation, that's a question I get asked a lot. What is it? What does it mean? What, when will it end? Will it end? Um, I think as human beings, we like to have very, you know, we categorize things and like to know the answers to these types of things. But the reality is, is reconciliation is many things. And I think in many ways isn't uh, isn't something that can be easily uh, defined or or put into a box. But uh, often the way I think of it is reconciliation is any action that will lead to Indigenous people being uh, having full access, full inclusion, uh, righting the wrongs of the past, uh, changing the socioeconomic indicators that we have. Uh, reconciliation is a process that leads to some kind of outcome or deliverable where Indigenous people are fully included and fully uh, being able to be self-determining in a country that is obviously on the territory, on our territory. So building on that thought for a moment, and from your vantage point, how would you characterize broadly where we are as a collective today on this journey toward reconciliation? Well, I have to always be hopeful. I mean, there's certainly, uh, there's many frustrations around it. We know the Re- Truth and Reconciliation Report came out in 2015, and there's a lot of conversations around what has been achieved, what hasn't been achieved. Um, I think we have to look at it in a multitude of perspectives. Um, uh, you know, as from an uh, educator, from me being an educator, working in the education system, working with young people, working with the team that we have at BCIT, the level of awareness has risen because of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I don't think there would have been a search for bodies at the residential schools. I think that Truth and Reconciliation Commission has definitely woken up people's eyes, uh, made them understand that there is a history in Canada that uh, they didn't know about. I know in British Columbia, one of the things that has been really heartwarming to see is that it's mandatory to have Indigenous content in all curriculum, all subject matters across all grades. And we're seeing the result in the kids, like I asked, you know, colleagues of mine and friends that I work with, if you need to know something, ask your kids. And they do ask their kids. So that they're the generation now 
now in British Columbia that's going to graduate from high school is going to have at least a basic minimum understanding of Indigenous people versus what was happened before. So uh, the Truth and Reconciliation at all levels has risen, raised awareness about the history of Canada. I think it probably could go... Uh, you know, in some cases, there's great, great strides have happened. And in some cases, there's a we've gone backwards. So depends on what we're talking about. But, it, uh, you know, we have to keep being positive and And we're definitely in a different situation than we were 10 years ago. And I'm sure 10 years from now, we'll be in a, an even better situation. Um, and it's important to keep it, uh, it all in perspective and know that we all have a role to play in reconciliation and in making sure that Canada truly is an inclusive, welcoming, accessible country. When you talk about all of us having a role to play in reconciliation, what do you see as a parent's role in that specific equation? Well, I guess as a parent, I mean, we all know that it's probably the um, the greatest job we've ever done, but also the most challenging job we've ever done. And and if you barrel uh, um, go down to what truly do you want your child to achieve? And I know we can get hung up on their grades or being first in class or getting into a certain university or a certain job or being a, you know, a hockey hockey person going to the NHL. Um, but when, when it gets right down to, I think all of us want our children to be good human beings and we want them to be happy. So in terms of a parent's role and responsibility, I think is to do that, is to make sure and expose their children to all kinds of ideas and experiences and thoughts, even if they're vastly different than their own, uh, to, uh, to teach the child that they have, uh, you get more out of doing service than not. And, you know, I had three rules for my kids, uh, don't lie to me, you must do well in school and you must do service. Uh, doing well in school, by the way, doesn't mean get straight A's, doing your best in school. Um, but the third one was doing service. And I, I think we don't put enough emphasis on that. That um, And time and time again, study after study has shown people get more out of giving to others than um, they get when they don't serve. And so you want to raise good human beings that have an understanding of the world, have an understanding and an appreciation of their own privilege, of their own bias, of their uh, skills and abilities. Uh, you know, we know sometimes kids have a false sense of who they are. Um, and, you know, and when they feel when they feel uncomfortable or when they're first confronted with challenges, then they often retreat to bullying or retreat to um you know, putting other people down, right? Like the, you know, the, especially with social media and all of that type of stuff. And, you know, I said, guess so a parent's primary responsibility is to raise a good human with good values that understand all human beings deserve equal opportunity. And so for, so with also with Indigenous people and, and, uh, you know, I appreciate that parents may not know because they didn't learn it in school or they weren't exposed to it or they're newcomers to this country, but there's so many resources out there to start learning. And, and I do think that's a parent's responsibility to make sure their child is exposed to as many things as possible and as many experiences as possible and that they're held to be accountable to be a good human being. In your various roles and within the multiple perspectives you bring on this topic, what would you say are some of the common pitfalls or obstacles that you see parents falling into when it comes to reconciliation and trying to teach their own children about it? 
Yeah. So I wouldn't say that parents necessarily make mistakes in it because when people know better, they do better. Um, you know, even myself as an Indigenous parent, as an Indigenous person to Indigenous children, my children are half Kwakwakiwak and half Haida. Um, we all make mistakes as parents. So I think I think that's the number one thing is know that you're going to make mistakes um, and that it's about how you recover from those mistakes and how you uh, forgive yourself and, and move forward to do something differently. So when it comes to learning or teaching your children about reconciliation, it's having the courage to do that. So to be bold and courageous and say to your kids, you know what, I'm not really 100% sure about this, but this is what I've read. Maybe we could do a research this or, you know, watch a movie together, a, a movie that's just out as Bones of Crows. It's an incredible movie. And they're making a, I understand CBC is also making a series of it. It's a very, it's about residential school. It's a very profound movie about a topic that, of course, is really, really challenging. But watch it with your kids and talk to your kids about it and even if you and if you don't know the answer tell them I don't know the answers but I'm going to find out um, I think the another pitfall of course that happens is when parents uh, teach their children whether overtly or um, uh, without their knowledge unconsciously uh, perpetuate the biases and stereotypes about Indigenous people and say, oh, well, look, they're so lazy or they're drunks or, you know, oh, they get a free education and they don't pay taxes. Well, so that's also where in this work that parents really need to, and everyone really needs to check their own privilege and their own bias and, and raise their own level of understanding and awareness about Indigenous people so that they're talking about the truth. Or if they hear their kids, it's the same in the LGBT community. You know, sometimes kids use terms that they shouldn't be using, you know, or your 80 year old grandfather uses a term that should not be used. Um, it's do, what do you say about that? What do you do about it? And kids are always looking to you to see how you handle that. So I think it's being uh, bold and courageous, being willing to say when you don't know something and being willing to explore things as a family and really set the tone. I mean, parents set the tone of what that what matters right if if you're commenting about if the only thing you say to your female your daughters is oh you're so beautiful oh you look so beautiful today well that's what she's going to start to value but I, I'm sure she has a brain um and has all kinds of other talents and skills right so um and, and it's it's really encouraging the kids to you know follow and learn about things that they maybe don't know about it certainly is an interesting dynamic to consider that in many households, parents may well be learning about reconciliation from their own children. Where could these conversations within families, within households go as a general starting point? I think the starting point is being bold and courageous, being honest, uh, you know, whether that's the parent understanding that they need to have their own learning, reflecting on their own uh, knowledge, their own abilities, their own skills, uh, but really having those honest conversations. And, you know, when we have Thanksgiving coming up and families gather and, uh, you know, I, I know sometimes with my students, when I used to teach, I would say to them, they'll, they'll come, it actually quite often, they would come back from Thanksgiving and say, my uncle said this, is it true about Indigenous people? So we we have older family members that have different perspectives, just like parents do as well. But the place to start is to really just listen and have 
those open, honest conversations and look to explore. I mean, people read bedtime stories to their children. What books are you choosing to read, right? Um, again, what do you listen on the, on the radio in the car as you're driving to soccer practice? Uh, what movies do you go to see? What do you, when you do, you know, Friday, Friday nights are movie nights. What movies are you watching? So it's looking to do this. And of course, not just for Indigenous, but for other group, other groups of, you know, equity seeking groups, it's extremely important. And I think every parent wants their child to succeed and wants them to be successful. And the reality is, is a child that is more aware of others and maybe in a way you could say more aware of differences. Um, and therefore, the more you're aware of it, then often the more accepting you are. And the more successful that child is going to be, whether it's in the workplace with their colleagues, whether it's in the classroom when the teacher is exploring a particular topic. Um, but we want to have people that we want to raise human beings that, again, understand uh, service, uh, don't view that certain groups should have certain rights over other people, that, that we're all human beings, and that there is a global perspective. I mean, Canada accepted 1 million immigrants, newcomers last year. That is a record for Canada. They are coming with incredibly different, vast experiences, which of course parallels the incredible diversity of experience and diversity of cultures and Indigenous people across this country as well. All of it has value. All of it has something to contribute. And I know we talked about uh, diversity is a, a reality, but inclusion is a choice. And, and that's also what we need to do. It, it, diversity is good. Diversity is good for innovation. Diversity is good for expanding, is good for uh, creating societies that are more inclusive and more accessible. But we have to choose to ensure that we have full inclusion time for a quick break, our conversation about a parent's role in reconciliation with our guest Corey Wilson will continue here on Where Parents Talk in a moment. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. Our guest is Corey Wilson, Executive Director of Indigenous Initiatives and Partnerships at the British Columbia Institute of Technology. She's also an educator and a mom. Corey, I'd like to pivot a little bit and ask you about some of the current statistics because they really do paint a very stark picture for people who may not be sure of how to be honest about this conversation with themselves or with their families. When we look at the legacy of colonialism and its ongoing impact on Indigenous in Canada, can you take us through some of the statistics that strike you personally? Well, the reality is, is that every socioeconomic indicator, Indigenous people are at the negative end. There are very few, and the only indicators I would say are the ones that I know of are where Indigenous uh, people have more children on average than um, other Canadians. But we're at the negative end of every socioeconomic indicator, health indicators, justice indicators, education indicators, you name it, we're at those, those ends. And those are really, really huge statistics. We make up 5% of the Canadian population. We are the fastest growing population in Canada, but we make up 5%. 
And anybody who's done statistics in, in university knows that there's a standard deviation. I'll be generous and say 10% is allowed, but we have statistics in this country where 65% of the children in care are Indigenous. In some provinces, 90% of the children in care are Indigenous. There's prison in, prisons as well in this country where the vast majority of inmates are Indigenous. Indigenous people are more likely to die at the hands of police officers at a significantly higher rate. My three Indigenous daughters are seven times more likely to be murdered and raped than any other in any other group in this country. Those are horrific mm -hmm. statistics. And this is all happening on land that belongs to us. This is all happening on land that is now called Canada that belongs to us. So these statistics are horrendous and that people often say to me, oh, well, you know, um, indigenous people, I just need to get an education. Well, again, there's so there's there's barriers that prevent us from achieving the same rate. Nobody's going to say indigenous, at least I hope nobody's going to say indigenous people are not as intelligent or they're more criminally inclined or they're worse parents. That is not the truth. The reality is, is the acceptance and what people have to understand is there is systemic racism and discrimination built into all of the systems that we have in Canada. So I don't know how else you explain anything over and above 10% representation of Indigenous people. So there is stuff going on. There are systemic biases, policies with built into all of our systems. Those barriers must be addressed. And the reality is, and one of the things that, you know, this is where I talk about too, everybody's role in reconciliation. One of the fundamental roles that you can play or the steps that you can do to do and advance this role is to accept and understand that there is systemic racism and discrimination and ask yourself what you're going to do about it and try to figure out how to get through it. And that doesn't mean people are intentionally going out there. It's just, and then it's also about recognizing that you are benefiting if you're non-Indigenous, you're benefiting from a system that allows you to benefit over and above Indigenous people. So it's being honest about that. I don't think the average Canadian goes to work and implements a policy or does a hiring practice within the intent of excluding Indigenous people, but that is the result. So how do we get the, you know, how do we change and get rid of those barriers, those systemic barriers? And that's what we all have to work towards doing. Um, because the statistics are horrendous. And, and I, I was very fortunate to be with the Native court workers uh, at their uh, celebration event last night. They've been around for 50 years. When they began in 1973, there was about four, 35 to 40 percent of Indigenous people in care were Indigenous. Uh, sorry, for, of Indigenous people in care in British Columbia were Indigenous. And now the statistic in British Columbia is 65%. So what is happening? We need to address this. And then, of course, all the other, um, you know, stereotypes that we see. Indigenous people pay taxes. Indigenous people don't get free housing. Indigenous people don't get a free education. Of course, there are circumstances where some of that can happen, but it's so small and so minute that we have to get rid of these types of statistics. And, you know, and it, when people, um, you know, I live in Vancouver in the downtown east side, all you have to do is walk around the downtown east side and, you know, there's mostly brown faces down there. And, you know, we're not there because we are more prone to drug addiction or more prone to this or that. There's a whole systemic uh, challenges that have led to all of that. And it's up to all of us to um, 
make a change and write, write those statistics. Now, in terms of your own family, are there any lived experience examples that you can share involving your own children that you believe should give us pause? Well, certainly in terms of my kids, I mean, one of the things that's happened, of course, it's just been summertime. My kids are very dark and, uh, you know, they get asked, I can't even tell you how many times they get asked, are you part black? Are you part this? Oh, you shouldn't tan so much. Why does somebody talk about that? Why do we talk about that in 2023? There's all kinds of reasons people's skin look the way they do. And um, that's a common one that happens. Um, but yeah, they've been in situations where pretty, you know, they also sometimes people don't realize they're Indigenous or they don't even think about it. Uh, so they hear that side of racism. They hear pe what people say when they think no Indigenous person is around. Um, you know, one of my daughters uh, made a, um, was accepted to a very a particular school. Uh, she was told that uh, she only got there because she was Indigenous. And yet when you look at uh, the rankings that she was ranked in the top three. So she was going to get into that. It had nothing to do with her being Indigenous. Um, another one of my uh, daughters was in, was in a class and uh, there was a non-Indigenous person that took offense to the fact that the word Indian was used in a in a book, in a reading. Uh, they were reading out loud from a book. Um, and I, I certainly appreciate the, the use of the word Indian and where you use it and where you don't use it. And it's certainly not, no one probably listening to this uh, uh, podcast should use the word Indian uh, unless they're saying the Indian Act, right? Or anyway, so she was in a class um, and this, uh, uh, you know, well-meaning, um, person said, you know, stop, we can't, I want you to say the I word. And he went on and on and on. She was the only Indigenous person in the class. So she made a comment and she said, look, I'm the only Indigenous person in this class. The, it's important to keep that word because it's in this book. And the reason we're reading this book is because we're trying to learn about this and learn about the severity and the colonization and all of that. Um, and then after that class, I guess he found her in the cafeteria and, and pretty much attacked her and said, how dare you make me feel like that? How dare you not tell me you were Indigenous? And she's like, how dare you assume I wasn't Indigenous? So there's a lot of those kind of personal incidents that happen quite frequently, um, you know, and it's 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 challenging. It's, it's challenging when you hear, you know, the stereo. And of course, we know other ethnic groups uh, face these types of things as well, but it's uh, the subtleties, it's, um, you know, sometimes high school teachers said, oh, well, just because you're Indigenous, oh, you don't have to worry about getting a scholarship because you're going to get a free education, right? So it's, it's yeah, it's an extra, and that's what I mean. So privilege, why well, I think pe getting people to understand their privilege is extremely important because that's a privileged position to say something like that. And you shouldn't do that, right? So, um, you know, my my kids have regular kids things that all kids have to deal with as children, as young people. Um, but then if you're Indigenous, there's that added layer that has to be um, constantly dealt with. And, you know, sometimes my kids have dealt with things because of me. Right. Oh, well, you're what are you going to go tell your mom? Oh, oh, like so there's that type of stuff that happens in it. And it's, uh, you know, we really and when it happens from adults, we it's really, really disturbing. You know, why would an adult say certain things that they say to children? Um, we understand, you can understand children between children, um, but again, where did that child learn that from? So again, going back to your, one of your original questions was what is the responsibility of parents? 
the responsibility of parents, again, is to raise good human beings, but not perpetuate the biases and stereotypes that they may have, that they know or understand, um, and get their kids to have an open mind and not bully on those types of things or, you know, make those comments. Now, Corey, you have a grandmother who was a residential school survivor, along with other family members. In what ways has your upbringing impacted how you're raising your own children as it relates to this issue? It influences in terms of, um, you know, all of the challenges that come and the intergenerational trauma and, and those types of things and trying to break those, you know, some of those cycles of dysfunction that have been passed on. You know, one privilege that I have is I have two parents that never went to residential school and that have university education. So education was my path to education was not something that I had to forge by myself and figure out on my own. So that was a very clear path for me. And that's obviously something I'm very grateful for. But I think the um, positive of my upbringing from my family was that we were raised with a, a great sense of responsibility, a great sense of duty and and honor to our ancestors and to those that went before us you know i know what my grandmother went through i had conversations with her i have my dad's brothers and sisters aunties and uncles and cousins that went to residential school and i know their stories and my life though at times may be challenging and hard it's infinitely better than theirs and so I think that's one of the strongest influences, raising with a sense of responsibility and duty to make the world a better place, but at the same time to make sure that I am grateful for my life and to keep um, my life in perspective, recognize that what, what I'm dealing with or what I, I feel as hard and challenging, um, keep it in perspective. Turning now to your role at BCIT, can you take us through some of the actions that you've taken along with your colleagues to actually affect lasting change where it concerns Indigenous education among staff and students? We've created an Indigenous vision that has um, all kinds of actions in it. Um, and we've, we really are looking at actions that lead to only to sustainable change. So in terms of the you know general things about raising awareness, helping people understand, participating in culture, meeting with elders, all of those types of things we're, we're doing and continue to do. But we've created an Indigenous vision that also uh, ties into with some measurements. Uh, so with our so the excluded staff with our performance uh, evaluations, they're asked what what um, are you what have you done to advance the Indigenous vision? Uh, we've asked all schools and departments to create reconciliation action plans, as we call them. Everybody's operating on that nothing about us without us principle. So we're involved in everything. And, and sometimes it's a, it's a little much. So for example, we're, we're building a new trades and technology complex. It's going to be fantastic and wonderful building. Um, so, you know, so I, I know a lot about um, piping and electricity and all of this type of stuff that I would never know, but they have us on their committees as well and consultation because how do they make it reflective of the place and space of the Coast Salish people whose territory that we're on and we consult with them and bring them in and we're looking at language and we built a health sciences building with our full participation in it as well. So it reflects the place and space. Um, yeah, it's been it's been really a really fantastic process. The HR department, you know, looking 
looking at how do we hire? How do we recruit Indigenous people? Where do we reach? What are the biases in our hiring processes? Um, you know, working with the unions, uh, working with their processes as well. And uh, so having those meetings with them, we're moving, moving a lot of things forward and hopefully changing the face of post-secondary education. As we all move forward on the journey toward reconciliation, Corey, what would you say gives you hope? I think what gives me hope is that it's part of the conversation, that people are talking about it, that people and, you know, not just governments, but the average person is talking about it. Take my kids to a soccer practice or a swim team practice, right? Um, and somebody will have the courage to ask me a question there. So these conversations are happening. These conversations are continuing continuing and we are seeing incremental changes occurring some are very drastic changes um but but we're moving towards that direction um slowly but surely Corey wilson executive director of indigenous initiatives and partnerships at the british columbia institute of technology thank you for taking the time to share your perspective with us today thanks for having me the full video interview with Corey Wilson is available at whereparentstalk.com. I'm Leanne Castellino. Thank you for listening. Till next time, happy parenting. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.